Freedom Hut. Dr. Fauci holds up New York as the model in the fight against COVID-19. Portland and Seattle see another lunatic destruction spree. A likely assassination attempt on a federal judge in New Jersey kills her son and wounds her husband. Plus, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows says he expects indictments in the Russia collusion probe. That's coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. Thank you for being here. Middle of July. Oh, my. The election is coming up quickly. Let's get right to it. I have been trying my level best in every way, in every respect, to make sure that we don't allow the the panic that the media is very interested in creating in every way that it can every day, the panic over COVID-19 to to continue to spread. I'm I'm trying to get everyone to see this through the context of people who understand that this is a bad situation. It's going to be with us for a long time, and we just need to work through it and work around it as best we can and not pretend that if only we just listened, if only we just listened to the science, this would all go away. That's absurd. That's absurd. And there is no end game that you will ever hear from the lockdown libs. And I'm, I'm tired of having the same fights. I'm angry that they've lied to us so much up to this point. For anyone who wants to say that this is because of conservatives or the red states, uh, they allowed thousands and thousands of people to gather in the closest imaginable proximity, screaming, yelling, many of them unmasked, thousands of people unmasked. And now they want to lecture us all about who cares about science? No, I'm sorry. I haven't forgotten what happened weeks ago. I still remember the situation. I also remember what it was like here in New York, the first place to get really badly hit by this disease. When I had friends, I had family members who were deeply concerned about even leaving their homes because of how much of this virus was out there, how many people were dying. And there were full uh, hospital ICUs with with people on ventilators. There were moments in time where it felt like we were going to be overrun with this now it didn't occur we weren't overrun we managed and we were all right we made it past it but we took terrible losses in this whole process now there's a new narrative and it's the narrative you're going to hear every day from now until the election and it is that really everything that has happened here forget about the states it's all just donald trump's lack of leadership that's what they're telling you as if Trump was able, if he had done things differently, was able to stop this virus. This is this is absolutely as shameless and predictable as any other narrative you could ever find about American politics right now. We knew this was going to happen. We knew they were going to say this. And now they're saying this. It didn't matter what Trump did. If Trump had declared a national level shutdown, if he had said, I want everyone to wear a mask, I want everyone to be shut down, doesn't matter. Do you know that they still would say he lacked leadership? He didn't do enough. He didn't take the virus seriously enough. And they'll keep running clips from the early weeks of this virus where he was saying, you know, eventually it'll go away. By the way, he's right when he says that eventually it will go away. 
You know, liberals love to completely freak out about this. Oh, he said it was nothing. It was going to go away. It will one day. He was trying to keep people calm. What do you want him to say? We're all going to die. Fauci was saying the same stuff, I should note. So there is no integrity in this discussion anymore. People don't they don't care. They want to believe what they want to believe. And that is that Trump is the root of all evil, the root of this virus. And we need to get rid of him. Nothing else matters. This is absurd. Now we can either fight back against this or we can allow the the destruction of the economy and our individual freedoms to proceed all in service to the left's agenda of making sure that Donald Trump does not win reelection. That's what all this is about. They're not saving any lives. They're not helping anybody with all this whining and all this craziness. And for anybody who's curious, when I say that there's no intellectual honesty anymore in this, the, the, he, the, the left holds up Dr. Fauci. Any government employee, whether it was Lieutenant Colonel Vinman or James Comey or Clapper, any government employee at any point in time, Sally Yates, right? Oh, she wouldn't do her job as acting attorney general. Turns out she was wrong. The Supreme Court even said so. But if you're useful against Trump, you are elevated as a saint almost, although they don't necessarily like saints very much on the left, but you're, you're elevated as almost superhuman. You're a superhero for the time period that you're useful against Trump. The moment that you're no longer useful, everyone forgets who you are, and it doesn't really matter anymore. Dr. Fauci has become elevated by Democrats, at least, because all he does is say, you know, we're at we're, we're, we're mitigation, we got to do more, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a If it was as simple as wear a mask, we wouldn't have this virus, we wouldn't have the virus. I think everybody should understand that by now. There's more going on here. It's more complicated than that. A lot more complicated than that. And for people who say that, oh, we didn't do our part in Europe, they have they have entire countries where mask usage is effectively zero and has been for months. And the virus is at a very low level. Does anyone have a working, uh, you know, a working model for why that is the case? I've told you what I think is going on here. It has to have uh, has to do with uh, human immunity the overall population susceptibility to this disease and the slow, brutal move over time toward herd immunity that we're going through. That's what I think is happening. I could be wrong, but I, all I do is read expert opinions all day. The Fauci opinion that we only have to, if we wear masks, this will be, and I think Redfield or whatever at the CDC has said the same thing. If we just wear masks for four to six months, this is un, or four to six weeks, this is under control. That's interesting because if you look at the curve anywhere after there's a big surge in infections, it goes down after four to six weeks. So it's interesting that that's the timeline they pick for this. If masks were really that effective, wouldn't we have a giant drop off in cases after two weeks? Shouldn't we all know that? But they're just going to continue to believe this and double down. It doesn't matter what logic would tell you. They're, they're absolutely set on this. And people just skip past, oh, it's so obvious that masks are necessary to pr uh, protect us from this disease. Then the beginning of this, the very experts they're relying on now to tell us to wear masks were saying, don't wear them. You know, I, I I've never seen doctors switch based on no actual evidence before from what they told you to do. To, you know, this would be like a doctor saying, hey, you have really high cholesterol. Maybe you should change your diet and stop eating so much processed food. And then six months later, hey, you know what? You, I, I think you just need to eat all the processed food you can go for it. And, and you say, well, why is there the change? They say, oh, no, no, no. This is what the science tells me. Well, wouldn't you probably be a little cautious about about taking that advice? What changed in the last six months? Well, we know the politics is what's changed. Dr. Fauci here. 
But look, I think I do think he's probably doing what he can. But here's the reality. He has no idea how to make this thing go away. None. If he did, we would have already known. What was the plan? The plan was lockdown until the virus recedes and then open up so slowly and so, you know, so, so uh, oppressively that it doesn't seem like it's that bad. But the virus is still spreading. The virus is still out there the whole time. So there never was some plan that we had, right? The plan was we don't overwhelm hospitals. We reopen and we deal with it. Now we're being told, oh, we didn't follow the plan. And in in case you're wondering what judgment level Fauci is at, here he is saying that New York is the model for how to handle this. Play three. As I understand it, there, there needs to be support. There needs to be funding for a number of these labs to open up. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Um, what do you know of a solution to get this ramped up immediately? We've got to make sure the dots are connected, Judy. When the Congress, in, with a great deal of generosity, gave billions of dollars to try and solve this problem, they gave something like $10 billion to the CDC to give to the states to do these kinds of implementing. We've got to make sure that it gets well spent and that it gets done in the right way. Again, we have a problem. We need to admit it and own it. But we've got to do the things that are very clear that we need to do to turn this around. Remembering we can do it. We know that when you do it properly, you bring down those cases. We've done it. We've done it in New York. New York got hit worse than any place in the world. And they did it correctly. We've done it in New York, he tells us. You know what happened in New York? Over 30,000 people died from COVID-19. That's success? That's a successful response? This is like saying... The best generals in World War I were the ones who lost all their soldiers in the first wave going up and over and running across no man's land. But then in month two, as the campaign continued, very low losses of life because all their soldiers had already died in the first wave. That's not what a good general does. And that's not a good response to a pandemic to have the highest losses of any metropolitan area of its size in the world. But that's being held up as the model. Why? Because Cuomo and de Blasio have adopted this, this tyrannical, we're going we're gonna to just keep changing the rules on you and not let you get back to normal life approach and pretend that that's why we're better off. No, the virus at, at a minimum infected 20% of the city already. You see, what they're doing now is they're pointing to a place where when you add T-cell, even a little bit of T-cell immunity to that number, you have to you have to be at 30 or 40 percent. So, yeah, the virus has slowed down. It's summertime. People are outside more. And we've already been hit with this thing at a level beyond any other large city like it in the world, really. On a per capita basis, a, a horrific response to the virus from the government authorities, huge loss of life. And now they're holding it up as, oh, yeah, but New York has gotten better because of the masking and the social distancing. We were masking. And so this I know for a fact, because I'm right here in Midtown, in the middle of New York. And I was outside every single day of the pandemic. Multiple times a day out on the streets going. I did all my own grocery shopping. I didn't have things delivered. I was somebody who was out 
in the city all the time. At the worst moments of this, when you would see empty streets all day long in the most crowded, largest city in America. Everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was social distancing. And this thing was grinding through our population for two months, just just ripping through for two months. Still huge levels of infection, even after the shutdown. And we're, we're going to be told that, oh, New York is the is the gold standard. How can you trust someone's judgment on anything when they think that's the case? Does Fauci not know about T-cell immunity and the serology testing that already showed that 20 percent of the city was infected? So, I mean, you know, getting close, uh, uh, getting close to half of the city infected and then pretending that masking is what saved us. That seems to me to be absurd to anybody who's thinking about this clearly. But no, you know what we're told? Do what we say or else. And now the or else has become explicit. Have you seen this couple out in Kentucky? What they're going through? I told you this was going to happen with this whole test and trace situation. What starts out as a suggestion becomes mandatory. We're now at the mandatory phase of this. They want to clamp down. They want to control. Kentucky is just the first of many cases like it. Let me tell you about it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just as a quick review, some states, New York, notably at the front of the pack here, refused to open until they had a proper test and trace program in place. I I was saying all along that the tracing, first of all, testing is not like a cure. It's spoken of as if all we have to do is test enough. All you do figure out when you're testing at the level of massive community spread is having a better sense of how many cases are out there. And you're still missing 80 percent, 90 percent of the actual cases out there. So. Testing is not a cure. Tracing is a joke when you're at this level of community spread. A joke. It's absurd. But you know what they're going to start to do? Now they're going to make the suggestion of quarantine mandatory. Um, New Zealand has already done this. They'll keep you effectively locked in a hotel for two weeks when you arrive now. Some of these other states that we see as, oh, aren't these great models of fighting COVID-19? Yeah, if you want to live in an an authoritarian regime where there's no oversight to the decisions they're making, often based in pseudoscience, yeah, then it's great. So you have a Kentucky couple, uh, Elizabeth Lynn Scott. She and her husband and their very cute little baby, they wanted to go visit uh, Lynn Scott's parents in Michigan. So as a precaution, she was tested for COVID-19. Turns out her COVID-19 test came back positive. She had no symptoms and had no idea, but she has COVID-19 right now. Okay. So she was told uh, by the Hardin County Health Department that she needed to sign paperwork and agree to call the health department anytime she leaves her home. Uh, She said she was willing to quarantine, but she had concerns about signing something like this that was clearly worded in a way that seems like it's a massive infringement on her actual rights. And so she left and did not sign this. You know what happened? Law enforcement officers sent to her door. It's a young mother. She and her husband. That must have been quite a shock to them. They're in Kentucky. This is a red state, folks. Law enforcement officers sent to her door to tell her that she has to wear an ankle monitor, as does her husband, and that they have to get permission before they can go more than 200 feet from their house. This is house arrest. Okay, they are being put on house arrest like parolees, 
like somebody who's a, you know, a, a, a sex offender who has to wear an ankle monitor. I mean, they're being told, stay in your home, put on this electronic monitoring device or else. Or else men with guns who work for the state will show up and tell you you have to do that. This was inevitable, my friends. The mentality of the lockdown lives and the left. This was going to happen. The, the do this, do your part, we're all in this together. When people don't do what the left says, when the Democrats don't get their way, their next move is or else. And now we're seeing what the else is. And there are Republicans who are going along with it, too. They're all they're all so scared. They won't they won't tell people that even if the vaccines I know I've seen some some promising things about vaccines, even if the vaccines work. It's luck. It's likely to be a situation where you might have limited immunity for a period of time. It'll be like the flu. Meaning that you have to get a vaccine every year for it to be effective for that flu season. That's that's a distinct possibility. There's a very real chance we're going to be living with this thing for a long time. And yet, you know what we're told? If only we wore masks, there wouldn't be an issue. That's what they've fall, that's what they've fallen back on now. They have nothing else they're going to say. Because remember, when we were first being forced into this, they told us if we if we just social distance and lockdown, uh, then we'll learn to deal with this, and we're not going to destroy our whole society over fighting against this virus. The cure cannot be worse than disease. That was the phrase. Now it's, no, 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 we're going to have to stay like this. Your freedoms are subject to the whims of government bureaucrats without, without exception. They can now show up and lock you in your home. If they can lock you in your home for a positive COVID test, why do you think they can't lock you in your home and make you wear an ankle, ankle monitor uh, on suspicion of having COVID? Sure, you had a test, but we, we think that you have it anyway. Prove to us that you don't. Anybody who wants to say, oh, this is absurd, uh, what we're seeing right now is absurd. What they're doing to people in violation of not just their constitutional, their most basic rights. We're reaching a point. I don't even give a crap what the law says about this stuff. The government can't tell people you can't leave your home because we are so scared. That's not how that's not how a free society functions. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Think of me as sort of a lioness. I'm okay. You come near my cubs, you're dead. I mean, just don't mess with Mm -hmm. the children. And I consider all of America's children our children. So don't be cavalier about our children. Uh, to be in a classroom, that these decisions may have to be made locally because of the rate of infection in certain areas, but they have to be made scientifically, scientifically, and uh, it's just something the president resists, science and governance. This is what science tells us. This is what, in governing, we should be doing. Nancy Pelosi is children. It's about the children. What? I've told you, Nancy Pelosi, this is her favorite move. Her favorite move is posing as, you know, look, she is the Chardonnay socialist of America. There's no question. But she likes to pose as the fierce grandma protecting all of our children, uh, which is a, a total fraud. Nancy Pelosi doesn't care at all about your kids. I don't care. Nancy Pelosi cares about Nancy Pelosi, uh, her giant mansion in San Francisco and the way the media and the Democrat Party uh, sucks up to her all the time and the power and the wealth that she has accrued. And, you know, I'm sure she cares about her own family. She doesn't care about your kids. 
at all. So this is all just a dodge. She doesn't care about the fact that your children, I think at last count, there were 30 kids during the entire COVID pandemic that have died who are under the age of 12, 30 in the entire United States from COVID-19, some of whom had other health issues that they were battling uh, and they also got COVID. But for those of you who say, well, Buck, that's 30 children. I know that's that's a terrible tragedy for each of those kids. About three times as many died over the same period this year from the flu. That's a fact. Does that do we shut down the school? Do we do we have mandatory masking during flu season for kids? Why not? Why not? You know, the same mentality they have about about the Green New Deal and climate change, where they think they're they've convinced themselves that they're saving the planet. And they now really believe it. At at first, it seemed like that was just to get them all to get the Democrats, get the left all excited. Now, increasingly, they may have really deluded themselves into believing that they are saving the planet. And if they really think that's the case, then why why is there any uh, why can there be any opposition to that? How can there be any opposition to that? They're saving the planet. You're just standing in the way of them saving all of us. Oh, well. It turns out that's uh, that's quite a useful tool for them, isn't it? Now it's they're saving all of our lives. Just do everything that they say. Doesn't matter how often they've been wrong. Doesn't matter how insane what they're saying is. Do everything that they say. I mean, the, the teachers unions, which is, you know, I have a big problem with. I don't think a teacher should be allowed to unionize public school teachers. No, no, I don't think that that's sensible. I don't think that it's right. I think it's really defrauding the taxpayer. But. That's me. Public school teachers union in New Jersey says that they need uh, SARS-CoV-2, which is just COVID-19 tests for all students before they go back to school. Weekly tests once they're in school and door to door mandatory masks for all students. That's completely absurd. But that's what they're demanding. A teachers union in North Carolina is demanding benefits for illegal immigrants before returning to school to teach. The quote from this teacher's union is, we must fight together collectively for changes. Yeah. Yeah, this is all this is all election year mobilization under the guise of health and social justice and, you know, racial justice, because what are they going to they're going to offer you the the Joe Biden plan for the future? What is what even does that mean? Oh, no one knows. No one really cares either. But increasingly, it's just going to become. An all-out war on the truth, on sanity, on decency, in order to make sure that people don't feel comfortable voting for Donald Trump. How can you vote for Trump? Look at what look what the country's going through. The, the the Democrat Party has turned into an insurgency, undermining America for the purposes of acquiring power. That is the plan. They will undermine our history. They will undermine our economy. They will undermine our basic sense of unity as a nation, whatever it takes. That's what they're doing. That's what you see playing out right now. And what's our counter message, really? How do we plan to make this stop? How do we plan to to defeat them? (sighs) Lackluster so far. The counterpunching is not is not working. The counterpunching, I thought maybe Fourth of July was the turning of the tide. We, We haven't seen it yet. And maybe I'm asking the impossible, maybe with the entire media all united, except for, as we know, a, a handful of places that aren't even that right wing or conservative. They're just not apparatuses of the DNC. They're just not appendages of the Democrat Party. But 
Maybe it's just asking too much for Trump to pull this off a second time. I, I'm not, look, I'm not despairing. I, I still think there's a lot of time between now and Election Day and we're going to get it done. But I am really frustrated. I'm frustrated because we have so few voices really making the case that with with COVID-19, we've listened to experts. They don't know how to stop the spread of the disease without stopping American life. Okay, stay home, shut yourself in, don't see anyone, don't do anything. And that's not going to stop it entirely. They'll still be spread into families and there'll still be people that have to go out and get food, still have to go to the doctor. I mean, you never can entirely shut this disease down. It's not going to happen. The only thing that really shuts it down is the disease mutates and no longer becomes a problem or we reach immunity to it as a population or we find a cure, which doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. That's it. Lockdown, you look at the previous policies from the community of public health experts and lockdown was something they thought about. But they said, well, that's just going to be way too draconian and hard to enforce and damaging to society. And but they also weren't anticipating. Hold on a second. One political party is going to benefit dramatically from all of that damage in an election year. So you have that you have the, the two issues united together of Democrats feel the get to feel like they're saving lives by doing this and. On top of that, they get to help themselves with reelection. What do the Democrats want to create in this country? What are they willing to support? Uh, you see in Portland and in Seattle what happens when Democrats no longer have any. And, and I, I have to use that word. I, people keep saying anarchists. Oh, they're anarchists. No, that's a way of detaching the shock troops of the Democrat Party from the mainstream Democrat voter and the Democrat base, which is just wrong. They are all they're all going to vote for Joe Biden. These people spitting at cops, throwing rocks, throwing incendiary devices, burning down federal buildings or trying to burn down federal buildings. They are Democrats through and through. We need to be very clear about that. We shouldn't play this game of allowing people to pretend there's something else. Trust me. The people that are throwing these rocks at cops heads in Seattle and Portland, what are they so angry about? Seattle and Portland are, you know, they're beautiful cities. They got good food and things are OK. Well, what's the big problem? I, mean, I really mean that at some point. What, what they're so angry about what exactly they're ruining what are what should be really nice places to live, really nice places to be. But they're not anarchists. That gives them too much credit. They're certainly not anti-fascists, although I guess we can call them Antifa because that's we all know that that's laughable that they're fighting fascism. They are the fascists. They're the brown shirts of our era. They're out there in the streets hurting people who disagree with their politics. They're out there as absolutists that are demanding that are demanding political and emotional and psychological concessions under threat of force. I mean, this is a domestic terror operation, really. They just know that it would not be useful for their purposes. For the Democrat Party that they represent, it wouldn't be useful to be all out violent and to just be a straight up terrorist organization like Hamas or, you know, the operations of Al Qaeda or the Taliban and so on and so forth. The FARC, I mean, you name it. They're, they're not yet at the let's actually just start killing people for the purposes of politics. But I don't think that that's beyond them. It's just not useful right now. They don't have a moral. Uh, a, a moral hesitation so much as they have a political hesitation it's not useful for their group right now because they're a part of the democrat party and ultimately they still think they can seize the apparatus of governance 
and be helpful to the Democrats. You know, they're, they're never they're never attacking things that Democrats find sacred. They're only attacking things that are either underlying foundational elements of the American polity, the American state, big S, uh, or just Republican and right wing and you know conservative issues. And Democrat politicians let all this stuff go. It's it's appalling what's happening in those cities. I mean, over the weekend, what we saw looting an Amazon store. Oh, they, they just they, they must be uh, upset because of George Floyd's killing. So they're looting an Amazon store. Yeah, that's right. Overwhelmingly, a bunch of white libs breaking through the glass front, stealing stuff and breaking into a Starbucks and, and ruining that store. You know, people work there. People have live, or at least they used to before the pandemic. People have livelihoods attached to this. Someone's going to have to go in there and clean this stuff up. And it's not the fat cats. It's not the Republicans. It's just people, fellow human beings who are being hurt by this. But do Democrats see it that way? No, of course not. These are their pseudo revolutionaries. These are their little stormtroopers doing their thing to borrow from Nancy Pelosi and her stormtroopers comment, making sure that anybody who disagrees with the far left is a target, is going to be intimidated, is going to be hurt. And finally, the Trump administration is taking some action here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let's start with this. What do these activists, protesters, rioters, and at what point do we call them a mostly violent protest? I just want to know. Can we establish that? If, if they're uh, injuring cops and trying to burn down federal buildings and using force and violence on the streets against law enforcement when do they become a mostly violent protest i think we've long since crossed that threshold i just want to know if democrats will admit that that's even possible if you if you have a hundred antifa guys and 10 protesters with placards who are standing there at the start of the thing is that still a mostly peaceful protest where is that calculation oh as we know the whole thing is meant to be an excuse, a, a mitigation measure, if you will, I sound like Fauci now, a mitigation measure against the public really understanding what's going on here. Well, here, Portland and Seattle, completely left wing dominated cities. You know, the, the cities are just turning into hellscapes right now. You don't want to be outside. There's crazy people attacking people. It's nuts. And, and people who can flee are fleeing a lot of major cities across the country, including New York, where I am. And I'm thinking about it all the time. And I'm not just joking about that. Uh, Lilith Sinclair is a Portland Antifa activist. I, I think you should hear what she says. The goal of her movement is I, I'm a believer in when radicals tell you what they think, when radicals tell you what they want to do, you should listen and take them seriously before you dismiss it out of hand. Right. If, if that's what the facts lead you to do. Play clip one. Hi, everyone. As many of you know, my name is Lilith Sinclair. I'm an Afro-Indigenous, non-binary local organizer here in Portland, organizing for the abolition of not just the militarized police state, but also the United States as we know. I want to make sure that while we are standing here on stolen land... And it goes on and on. The abolition of the United States as we know it. That's... That's the claim. That's the desire. That's the mission. Now, you might say, but come on, that's insane. This this woman, you know, this has got I, mean, I, I, th I think she said non-binaries. I don't know what the proper I, I'm, I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to keep up with the terminology. I don't want to get I don't want to get arrested or get sued or whatever. 
So I, I know non-binary. I don't know what uh, what pronoun I'm allowed. I'm sure I don't even know what pronoun I'm supposed to use. Is, is it are we at they now? Are we going with plural pronouns? Who knows? And I mean that I, I actually don't even know. It's tough. And they don't know. They'll make it up as long as they can get a couple of uh, Republicans in trouble first or some conservatives. Some take destroy the evil white males of America who aren't complicit in the Democrat Party, leading the Democrat Party's destruction of America. You know, anyone who's not in that category who's a white male, it's open season on that person. Anyway, so uh, uh, Lilith Sinclair here tells you she wants to abolish uh, the, uh, the United States as we know it. What do we really think happens if the Democrats manage to take power this fall? If you have Joe Biden as a puppet of the left, the abolition, speaking of which, of the filibuster and Democrats in control of the House, the Senate and the White House. Do you think they're going to play small ball? They're going to try to reach out to the other side, do some moderate stuff. Mm-mm. Socialism, baby. That's the plan. That's the plan. Put us on a, a course towards socialism. We will never get away from. Look, they've already done it in so many European countries. They move toward a socialist state and now it just drags, drags them down, makes people less free, less prosperous. And they've gone full socialist, as you know, in places like Venezuela, which is completely ruined it and people are starving and there are bread lines and massive violence all across the streets and it's just a, it's a nightmare venezuela was a nice country with a high standard of living then they went socialist and ruined the whole thing it's not a new story in that it's happened plenty of other times plenty of other places they are pretending to be outside the system remember these activists who claim to be revolutionaries they have the most powerful corporations in the world doing their bidding right now Everything from Facebook to Amazon to you name it, Google, all of them. They have uh, so they have uh, the, the assistance of the most powerful companies in the world. They have Hollywood. They have academia. They have, unfortunately, much of the scientific and research community that has also been brainwashed because of all their time on campus alongside them. Uh, and they have the entire apparatus of the Democrat Party. They have the teachers unions. They have the American Bar Association. Why do we think that they won't be able to get their way? restructuring the country in a way that it is unrecognizable to those of us who just want to live our lives with some freedom and peace and stability. That's all. That's all we're really looking for. Right. The 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 pursuit of happiness, dare I say it. I know it almost sounds it almost sounds corny right now, doesn't it? Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No, not uh, the pursuit of happiness insofar as it is acceptable to people who want to hold you accountable for what your ancestors did as if you had some moral culpability in that. And it's fair or, or logical, reasonable or moral to hold that against you. That's the society they increasingly want us all to be living in. I, I'm I'm in, I'm really look, I didn't think that the world was going to end if Hillary Clinton won the presidency because I was resigned. I thought that she probably was going to in 2016. I did not realize that Trump was going to pull off that miracle. But I'm really worried that we're not going to be able to pull off a second miracle unless we wake up real soon. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So who's responsible for the madness in both Portland and Seattle over the weekend? If you were to just do a quick search online, you would see uh, what, what would look to you very likely as though those were cities in the midst of some kind of a, uh, an insurgency, a war zone. Andy No, my buddy out there on the West Coast, 
just doing all kinds of on-the-ground reporting. He said that yesterday in Seattle, a mob of bat-carrying Antifa and BLM rioters marched around the city, breaking windows one by one and starting fires. They ambushed police at West and East Precincts, injuring 12. Like Portland, police aren't allowed to stop the rioters. This is all from a, a, a Twitter thread Andy just put up. The Antifa rioters used fireworks to injure police in an ambush on the Seattle West Precinct. One officer was so badly burnt in the neck area that he had to go to hospital. Others suffered lacerations from rioters breaking the windows and throwing rocks. Antifa rioters in Seattle then moved to the East Precinct, the police station in the former Chaz. They broke out the windows of the building and started fire and started a fire in the lobby. Federal law enforcement responds at the Portland Federal Courthouse after all the fencing was torn down by rioters. They deployed pepper balls, tear gas, and more. And after setting up barricades and burning the American flag, Antifa rioters are trying to grow the fire they set on the Portland Federal Courthouse. That was uh, some hours ago. They're trying to burn down a federal courthouse, folks. Democrats. These are Democrats. Uh, People don't like to hear that for some reason on the left. Oh, that's because if normal people understand the lunacy that lives comfortably within their movement, that's in fact important to their movement, to the Democrat Party, that hurts their prospects of putting on top of all of this, uh, everything that we're seeing, the the uh, legitimacy of a Biden election before they just drag us down into the socialist depths of despair. That's what's holding them back. Better to make it seem like an election, right? Better to make it seem like the American people are making the, the reasonable decision here. So there's this crazy Antifa stuff going on in major cities. And... It's just, who do they think they're supporting? Why are they doing all this? All of the things that they say they want are demands that also exist within um, political groups, partisans, activists of the Democrat Party. The things that they want, their, their complaints among the Antifa lunatics, of course, they say Donald Trump is a fascist. They say Donald Trump is the problem. All of those things that they're talking about are Democrat points. They're not, they're not out there uh, lo- rooting, um, rooting, looting and rioting because they want lower taxes, because they want more freedom, because they want you know the rule, obviously not the rule of law. They want Democrat agenda items. But who do you think the Democrats focus their blame on? Is there one Democrat politician in Oregon, in Washington state, who's willing to stand up and say, Hey, uh, this is an outrage. You guys need to knock this crap off. You're a disgrace to this country. You're a disgrace to your community. You're not fighting fascism. You're hurting your fellow human beings. You're hurting law enforcement officers. You're hurting civilians. You're destroying property. You're stealing. Destroying property is stealing. You're stealing from people like thieves. Do you think anyone says that? No. Do you know what they do focus on? Oh, the problem are the federal law enforcement officers the Trump administration has sent in to try to restore law and order. Play, here's the Portland mayor, Ted Wheeler. Play clip six. Well, the president has a complete misunderstanding of cause and effect. What's happening here is we have dozens, if not hundreds, of federal troops descending upon our city. And what they're doing is they are sharply escalating the situation. Their presence here is actually leading to more violence, and more vandalism, 
And it's not helping the situation at all. They're not wanted here. We haven't asked them here. In fact, we want them to leave. Oh, too bad, Portland Mayor Wheeler, because you're still in America. The federal government is still a thing that exists. Democrats love it when it's in their hands. They'll use it for anything and everything. Yeah, Portland is still U.S. soil. It's not yet entirely a chaz. Federal law enforcement's not welcome there. They're they're exacerbating the situation. This is one of the oldest Democrat tricks in the book. This reminds me quite a bit of um, the way that they used to talk about fighting against terrorism. Any fighting for Democrats against terrorism, their their go to complaint about this was that in fighting against terrorists, jihadists, Al Qaeda, ISIS, you name it, the fighting against it creates more of it. That was always their response. This is what you're seeing now. The same thing with law enforcement. It's the enforcement of laws. It's the law enforcement agents and cops and so forth who are doing their jobs. They are the problem. The cops that sit back because they're told or because perhaps they don't want to enforce the law for a whole bunch of reasons in these cities. But the cops who are sitting back and not doing anything about it, uh, they're the good guys in this formulation. They're they're doing it the right way. The federal agents who show up, the federal cops who are there. You know, I thought the I thought the Democrats loved the uh, FBI. I thought they thought the FBI was fantastic and all these different federal agencies. Oh, no, only when it's useful to them. No principle here. No truth in their approach. It's just about politics and power in the moment. Now, the Portland mayor is, is even worse. It's not just the federal law enforcement agencies. It's that it's Trump. Portland is burning and is effectively a free fire zone for lunatic libs because of Donald Trump. You can't make this up. Play clip five. The ACLU filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration Friday night, uh, as did your state attorney general. Uh, she accused federal agents of a, quote, escalation of fear and violence in Portland, as you just said. Do you think the uh, Trump administration's breaking the law in your city? I absolutely do. Uh, the tactics that the Trump administration are using on the streets of Portland are abhorrent, as you indicated uh, at the introduction. People are being literally scooped off the street into unmarked vans, rental cars, apparently. Uh, they are uh, being denied probable cause and they're denied due process. They don't even know who's pulling them into the vans. The people aren't identifying themselves and as far as I can see, this is completely unconstitutional. Oh, now the Constitution counts. Well, what about equal protection under the law? Let's just take a look at that one for a second. When you have a mayor who's allowing the rampaging through the streets of a favored political entity, which is absolutely happening in the case of Portland and in Seattle. When you have mayors who are saying the law doesn't count, sorry if your business or your home gets burned down or destroyed. Sorry if you get hit in the head with a rock. But, you know, it's really important that we have this left wing activist movement out there terrifying everybody. Uh, a little bit too much. Oh, oh, all of a sudden, when it comes to Antifa, Democrats, it's like they it's like they've rediscovered states rights. Which, as we know, Democrats are, are always just just the very term usually makes them. Uh, outraged but now now that has changed quite a bit hasn't it the trump administration is doing the right thing by sending in federal officers there's no question in my mind about that but let's also be very clear that's not going to be sufficient uh, it's not going to be sufficient here the, the only way that things get better 
uh, is when you have two things that happen. One is the mobilization of the Trump movement in a way where it's clear it's not going away. They're not going to stamp it out by really intimidation and fear. That's what the Democrats are trying to do right now. COVID fear, fear of the mob in the streets. All Democrats are doing is making, just like Black Lives Matter, the movement makes everything worse for everybody and has all along. Democrats are now doing that. They're making everything worse for everybody wherever they can. Misery works to their political advantage. And so misery is the order of the day. It's shocking. It's absurd. It's disgusting. But this is where we are. We got to fight. I'm not just here to whine to you about it. We got to fight back with everything we've got. Every time I even do a show like this at this point, I'm taking a risk. You think it's not a problem when I say things like Black Lives Matter has made everything worse for everybody? Oh, of course. You don't think that psycho libs are coming after me all the time, threatening to deplatform me, take me down constantly, constantly. But I'm fortunate enough to have the platform that I do, and I'm not going to back down because I love this country. I even love this insane city that I live in, which is being overrun by leftist lunatics at the leadership level and then on the streets with the mob. We are in a fight for the future of the, a real fight for the future of this country, not a political debate, not a, okay, how are we going to come together and find a third way? The people who want to be in charge want to dictate every aspect of your life to you, and they want to use the force of the state and the mob in the street in order to do it. They're not making good arguments. If they're making good arguments, they wouldn't put a moron like Joe Biden for it and say, yeah, this is the guy that will solve all of our problems. I'm hopeful that Joe Biden will be able to tie his shoes in three or four years time. They want to make him president of the United States. You've got to be kidding me. Nope. Nope. Instead, you know, you have the usual, uh, the usual lunacy. You know, I mean, Joe Scarborough and, and, and one of his many very expensive, you know, this guy's become a millionaire by just shifting with the political winds whenever he has to. And Scarborough is out there letting everyone know that, uh, yeah, this is this is it's good that the American people have turned against Donald Trump. Play eight. Donald Trump is checked out when it comes to a pandemic that's that, that killed almost one hundred and forty thousand Americans. And Mika, I know we're going to talk about this, too. Yeah. But what is really angering Republican senators right now who are in trouble is the fact that Trump is trying to continue to cut funding for testing and contact tracing at a time when our economy needs that the most, at a time when our small business owners need that the most, at a time when our airlines need that the most, at a time when restaurants need that the most, at a time when school teachers need that the most. He insists, as he has since March, that this country continues to fly blind. And the American people have overwhelmingly turned against him in Fox News polls, in Washington Post polls, in NBC News, Wall Street Journal polls, in every poll that's out there. People have turned against him insofar as that's true. And I think that a lot of the polling, once again, is skewed and and inaccurate. But people have turned against him because of individuals like Joe Scarborough, who use their platforms to lie. That whole thing about how we're flying blind, we test more than any other country. We're doing more testing than any other country. So to say it's because we lack test and trace capability, that's not true. That's not true. The focus on testing at the expense of the truth of what is the real mortality rate we're seeing in the states that are so badly hit right now, that, that tells us a ton. Do you really believe, I mean, if you look at the statistics, you really think that Russia has done such a great job of managing the pandemic? You know, people really think that that's true? Or is it just that the Russian government, there, there's no incentive 
to create panic within Russia because there's no opposition to speak of because Putin is an authoritarian. And so, yeah, some people have died from this in Russia, but they're just they're just going forward with life. No, here we have to we have the breathless headlines every day. Oh, look at all the people that are dying. I'm sorry. Look at all the people that have this rather not dying in Florida. Look at all the people that have this name estate. That's currently seeing high levels of of caseload. And, and, And as if we had we have a cure for this and everything gets better through test and trace. This is this is just what people say who don't think. But it's a criticism. It's a criticism of Trump. Therefore, it must be valid. Just like the mask thing. Test and trace masks. We'd all be fine. There are states that have done none of those things to the degree that we would demand, according to our experts, and they're fine now. There are states that have done a ton of that, like Italy and Spain, and they were in terrible shape. So I I, I just I mean, I just have to wonder how much how much stupidity and how many lies we're really going to have to suffer through here before people finally say enough is enough. When 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 does the backlash to all of this begin? When do we say we're not listening to you idiots anymore? You're not going to lock us in our homes you're not going to voice this pseudoscience upon us, and you're not going to make excuses for the domestic terrorists that you have fostered within the Democratic Party who are, this is all, it's all meant as intimidation. Why do people burn down buildings? Why do people loot and riot and go into, you know, the Amazon and Starbucks stores in Seattle? Yeah, they're angry and they're, and they're deranged, fine, but what's behind, what's the political calculation behind that? Other people are going to see this normal, decent people see this and say, look, I just don't want. I don't want that coming to my neighborhood and I don't want to be a target of this. So sure. OK, whatever. I give Joe, Joe Biden wins. Let, let's vote for Joe Biden. That's that is the plan. There is a strategy behind all of this. It's insidious, but there is a Democrat strategy behind this. Do we fight back? Do we win? That's the question we still have to answer here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Lying about the fake news in the midst of a pandemic as the death toll rises and rises. What's so scary about his words is that he talks about the virus like it's no big deal when you catch it. Like it's just the sniffles. He he refers to the sniffles. He said most people just get better right away. We keep hearing about people suffering for months after contracting the virus. You know, it's bad enough that the hospitalization rates are rising. It's bad enough that the morgues are filling up. It's bad enough that elderly Americans are suffering in awful numbers. But even the folks who get the virus and then start to recover, they still feel terrible weeks and months afterwards. And there's no acknowledgement of that from the president. Instead, it's, we're testing too much. Uh, this is Brian Seltzer, an expert on nothing, who just is the propaganda of Jeff Zucker of CNN. Only has a TV show because he looks like Jeff Zucker and he does his bidding. And uh, yeah, he's just here to attack Republicans. I I, want to meet the person. I want to meet the. The winner at life who watches people like Brian Stelter on TV and thinks, yeah, this is a smart person that I should listen to. I I don't think they exist. Certainly not intelligent people who are winners at life. I I don't think that they exist. I don't think it's possible to watch them like Brian Stelter and be like, yeah, this guy knows what's up. Ninety nine points point three percent survival rate of the disease. We were told what? Two months ago, six weeks ago, a huge problem was all the asymptomatic cases. Asymptomatic means you don't even know you have it. This woman that was this mother who was just locked in her own home in Kentucky 
with an ankle bracelet on, didn't even know she had, she was felt fine. We're all going to hide from a disease that most of the people who get it won't even know they have it? What is the answer that says, oh, test more, test more, mask, mask, test more, test more, mask, mask. If, if that's the answer, the moment that you, the moment that you stop wearing masks, then we're all going to get this again. So wear a mask forever. Wear a mask for the next 10 years, all the time, outside, you better, or else. Test more. What's that going to do? Testing is so useful for people at the individual treatment level and at the early stages of a pandemic to try to contain and suppress it if possible. But we, we can't do that with this. We've already it, it's already all over the country. And as I've said to you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be traveling next month. I'm going down to North Carolina, uh, North Carolina to speak to the uh, Craven County Republicans. I'll give you the date. I'd love for as many. Uh, members of Team Buck out there to please. I, I mean, they might. I, I've been told that might already be sold out, which is very. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people coming out. But I, if there are any tickets, I'd love for you to come. I'll give you the details. But I'm going to be out there. I'm going to travel. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to do these things. And if I come back and I have COVID nineteen, you know, what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay home for two weeks and hope that I get better pretty in a pretty reasonable fashion. But I plan on living my life. I don't plan on stopping the living of my life because paranoid lunatic libs really want to beat Donald Trump and won't listen to anybody who's being reasonable about this. I mean, this has just gotten absurd. Oh, or, or you can listen to Brian Stelter. Hot under your bed. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. Thanks, Brian. You're really, you're really useful. You're really an admirable fellow. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember when Russia collusion was the biggest story in the uh, world, really biggest story in America for years. And, and we were told incessantly by members of the media, um, as well as conservative, some conservative pundits, uh, writers and so on, that Donald Trump had colluded with Russia and that the uh, the dossier from Christopher Steele was believable and legitimate. And that was all a lie. That was all a lie. And now we have more. Uh, we have more from Christopher uh, from a uh, struck rather Peter struck. It comes out that in the early days of uh, January 2017, they knew that the dossier was complete garbage, unverified trash from one subsource who didn't know anything. I mean, they, they basically found one guy who had heard all these rumors about Donald Trump, wrote them down and then used that as the basis for a federal investigation of a presidential campaign. That's what happened. Paid for by Hillary Clinton. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's so egregious. It's so outrageous that it's almost hard to believe that this is what happened. But this is, in fact, what happened. And that's why when you have uh, now, you know, Republicans coming forward and saying, oh, there's going to be accountability. Oh, you've got uh, Lindsey Graham telling us all just. Give it some time and people are going to go to prison. Play clip uh, 12 here. I'll be shocked if somebody does not go to jail now for defrauding the FISA court, because those people who submitted the warrant application in April of 2017 and June of 2017, months after the interview of the subsource saying it was all garbage, they should be real good right. candidates to go to jail. Well, he's going to be shocked. I can tell you that. He's going to be shocked, that's for sure, because not going to jail. No way. No way. I'm not on the Senate Intelligence Committee, but uh, I can tell you they're not going to jail. 
I worked in intelligence. I was actually one of the worker bees of the intelligence community. And no way it's not going to happen. If if I, I will add this little proviso, if someone does face charges, it will be a relatively minor process crime. I, I'm talking about in the Russia collusion thing, relatively minor process crime or, you know, administrative issue, you know, leaving something out of a FISA warrant. And it will only be someone that you've basically never heard of and no one cares. Keep in mind that even if you had someone like a Peter Strzok who faced charges because of his role in this, let's say they brought him up on some criminal charge. Uh, do you really think that a, a jury in D.C. is going to convict Peter Strzok of anything? Nope. So maybe a better way of putting this is uh, I don't think anyone's getting charged. I know nobody's going to prison over this one. And I don't enjoy telling you this. I just see it. And I, I know what I what I believe to be the truth of the situation. It's just not going to happen. And Lindsey Graham at this point has just become a guy who, you know, this is kind of his brand. He goes on. He's like, he's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and just wait and see. And, you know, tick tock, just wait and see. Nope. The guy does nothing. Guy hasn't done anything worthwhile since one decent outburst on behalf of Brett Kavanaugh two years ago. That's it. Nothing, nothing else worth anybody's time that I can see. A lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of yapping on television about how, he, you know, I'm going to get to the bottom of this and I'm going to get to the bottom of that. No, he never does. He never does. You know, oh, tonight I'm, we're going to drop a bombshell. I'm, I'm going to be on Fox tonight and we're going to. Right. Every night we hear about this. I wish it were true. But those of you who have been listening to me for a long time know, I said right after Obama's election, that, you know, with Trey Gowdy and all that stuff going on over Benghazi, and I knew the Benghazis, I knew more about Benghazi than any of the, you know, any of the people who were making a name for themselves with it right when it happened, for reasons that I'm sure a lot of you could figure out. So I had to sit there and be quiet about things. I was like, well, I know what happened here. Uh, I mean, as it broke in the news. But then Obama won, as you know, a couple months later. And I told people, I said, if you thought that there was going to be accountability for what happened in Benghazi, that just went out the window the moment that Barack Obama won re-election. No one's going to prison. Nothing's going to happen because they've they've got they're covered now. They're covered. Ultimately, the DOJ under the Obama administration is not going to bring charges against anybody. So anyway, I was right about that. Nobody nobody was held responsible for Benghazi. And I'm telling you right now, they're going to they're going to skate on this one, too. If if uh, the Durham probe. You know, Mark Meadows is saying that what, from what he's seen, and Mark Meadows seems, is a really good guy. I like Mark Meadows. He's chief of staff of the White House. He was a congressman before. I like Mark Meadows. I, I think he's optimistic. I don't think he's lying to you. And he could be right. I could be wrong. So we'll see. But, you know, we, we got to know our enemy here. You got to know the opposition. They don't play by They don't care. They don't play by normal rules. They fight dirty. They keep fighting dirty, and we keep turning around and saying, well, hold on a second. Those aren't the rules. And they laugh in our faces and say, ha we win again. That's what they do. Trump was a break in that cycle. Trump came along and was like, you think you're going to fight dirty with me? I'll fight dirty with you. Let's go. That was the 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 huge change of Trumpism. I mean, there's a lot of things that made this uh, president very different from his competitors. But but he came along and said, no, I'm not just going to get I'm not going to take the Romney approach of slap me in the face and then I'll apologize to you for hurting your hand. I'm so sorry. Is your hand OK after you slap me after you punch me in the nose? Is your is your fist OK? I feel badly for it. That was the old Republicanism. 
Trump comes along and says, you know, if you slap me, I'm going to punch you. Better, isn't it? Seems like a better dynamic if you believe that the Republican Party should actually have the power to do important things for the country. I, I wish I could tell you that I was a big believer in the prospect of uh, real justice over the, I was going to say Benghazi. That certainly never happened. Remember all the hearings we had? And Trey Gowd is like, I'm telling you, you know, I'm, why don't you answer my question? I got to be on TV later. I'm going to be on Fox and I'm going to, you know, Trey Gowdy. Nope. Trey Gowdy didn't. No one got sent to prison. No accountability for whatsoever. Never found out anything we didn't know basically in the first 90 days of the whole situation. So I know, look, I, it was great TV for people for a while. It got the base all riled up. But we uh, remember we lost. We lost that round. Still, still remains to be seen if we're going to lose this round, too. This is all out political war. I've been telling you that for a while. That's what we're seeing play out. And in this environment, the, the Durham probe as some kind of a savior, there are just people that have invested a lot of time and a lot of their viewers and listeners time in this and they know they're only going to get people to listen and watch if they keep saying, oh, just wait, it's going to come. I, I think that that's wrong. If I am wrong, I'll come in here and say, hey, I'm so psyched, guys. Turns out there is justice, and I apologize for being a, a doubter. Those of you who listen to the show know when it comes to these things, I tend to be pretty accurate. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, the president sat down with Chris Wallace for a very lengthy interview. Uh, what was it? Yesterday. And there were some some worthwhile moments that I'll uh, talk to you about now. It was not some earth shattering event. The president is constantly sharing his thoughts on things, very much exposed to the public. And, and we're, it's not like we don't know enough about what Trump thinks about really any issue at this point. But here's what uh, some of the more interesting moments were. Uh, for example, Chris Wallace. Uh, oh, gosh, I, I don't know. why. OK, well, they, he, had, he talks about masking and where we are in masking. This is this is the president's position on this plane 19. No, I want people to have a certain freedom, and I don't believe in that, no. And I don't agree with the statement that if everybody wear a mask, everything disappears. Hey, Dr. Fauci said don't wear a mask. Our Surgeon General, terrific guy, said don't wear a mask. Everybody was saying don't wear a mask. All of a sudden, everybody's got to wear a mask. And as you know, masks cause problems, too. With that being said, I'm a believer in masks. I think masks are good. But uh, I leave it up to the governors. Many of the governors are changing. They're more mask into. They like the concept of masks, but some of them don't agree. I do say this. Schools have to open. Young people have to go to school. And there's problems when you don't go to school, too. And there's going to be a funding problem because we're not going to fund when they don't open their schools. We're not going to fund them. We're not going to give them money if they're not going to school. Masking. He's right on how they've changed the rules on that. So we, we need to, we need to at least be honest with each other. We need to be honest with ourselves that that's just the truth. And now Democrats are demanding masks. They want a national masking policy. Uh, I, I find a mask oppressive and I find it on any circumstances where I'm outside. It's just it's it's panic, knee bending stupidity. That's my view on wearing a mask outside. Now, you do have to wear masks sometimes indoors. You do have to be careful around uh, people who are at higher risk. I get that. I'm not saying never wear a mask. Of course not. 
But what we're being told is wear a mask all the time when you're outside. Wear a mask if you're anywhere near other human beings. That's insane. It's just insane. And I'm not going to change all that. I don't know what else to say. But I also have a realistic risk tolerance for living life, whereas a lot of libs seem to think that, oh, if only we do everything the state says and all except that Trump is so evil, everything will, will be so much better. Um, Trump was asked this question by Chris Wallace, which I found. I, I don't know why anyone who thinks of himself as a journalist pushes this question um, because, well, I'll get into the I'll get into the why. But here, play 15. I think mail in voting is is going to rig the election. I really do. Uh, Are you suggesting that you might not accept the results of the election? I have to say, look, Hillary Clinton asked me the same thing. No, I asked you the same no, no, thing in the debate. There is a tradition in this country. In fact, one of the prides of this country is the peaceful transition of power. And that no matter how hard fought a campaign is, that at the end of the campaign, that the loser concedes to the winner. Not saying that you're necessarily going to be the loser or the winner, but that the loser concedes to the winner and that the country comes together in part for the good of the country. Are you saying you're not prepared now to come to that principle? What I'm saying is that I will tell you at the time. I'll keep you in suspense. Well, okay? Chris. And you know what? She's the one that never accepted it. I agree. She never accepted her loss. And but she it, looks like can a you give a, Can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you, I have to see. Oh, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. Hillary didn't accept the results of the election, at least not publicly in her statements about it. Democrats didn't. That's why we have the deep state soft coup effort against the president. That's why we have the FBI, James Comey, Clapper, CIA Director Brennan trying to destroy his presidency after he won. They didn't accept the results of the election. But we have to ask uh, Trump preemptively if he will accept the results. First of all, this is a stupid question. It's a stupid question. So let's just say that because whatever the president says today about what he will do after the election is irrelevant until after the election any, anyway. Right? But it's, meant, it, it's a when did you stop beating your wife question. It's meant to suggest just by asking the question uh, that the president can't be trusted, that he's not honest, that he's uh, going to stay in office. Hillary Clinton, this is a talking point. Hello, a talking point that she uses. You know, oh, this president may not leave office. The office that Hillary still thinks belongs to her. And it really was was hers before she even had to run a campaign. It just should have been given to her. That was, in her mind, the, the natural and, and righteous order of things. Uh, stunning and stupid, but that's that's where we are. Uh, the president, if there is massive election fraud, of course, he's not going to just accept that. And Democrats are advocating for a huge change to a national election in an incredibly contentious political environment with all kinds of tensions and, extre and extreme circumstances around it. And we just saw, I think it was in New Jersey, they held a, a local election and a large portion of ballots that were cast by mail, they had to discard. And the actual separation between the two candidates, I'll, I'll have to dig into the details for you, was in the hundreds. So you, you think it's going to be fine to just have everyone, everyone voting by mail? Why are Democrats so obsessed with this? It's important enough to make exceptions for BLM protesters. That's important enough for the state, uh, for governments. Health is secondary. But to have a once every four years presidential election and show up and do that, that's not important enough. 
These are these are the arguments that are being made to you. You, you can reject them. You can accept them. That's up to you. I, I think they're I know you're rejecting them. I'm just saying it's completely insane. Sorry. A little bit of a uh, buck is a little bit grumpy today. I'm a little grumpy, not just with Democrats. I'm a little grumpy with the way things are going in America right now. That's just the truth. This it needs to be needs to be better than where we are right now. Uh, and people just need to get a grip. Stop losing their minds. Stop panicking. Stop freaking out and being such giant babies about how everything is the other side's fault all the time. All right. We have a manageable public health crisis that we are working our way through. Let's all take a deep breath and chill out. Let's let people who want to have their lives back have their lives back. It is it is unfair to hyper regulate every aspect of our lives because of an arbitrary risk elimination strategy, not even mitigation that the government's now trying to put into place. Uh, it's it's stunning. This is where we are. Um, Trump also spoke about what he thinks about Biden. And uh, this is not going to go away. Democrats can try to avoid this. They can try to skip past it. Play 18. There's nothing they can ask me that I won't give them a proper answer to. Some people will like it. Some people won't like I it. I agree with that. But look, you let, answer the let questions. Biden sit through an interview like this. He'll be on the ground crying for mommy. He'll say, mommy, mommy, please take me home. Well, we've asked him for an interview, sir. He can't do an interview. He's incompetent. <laughs> this this is just an unforgivable move from my perspective. The Democrats have engaged in this is unforgivable. Uh, that they put forward Joe Biden as the nominee. I mean, they're they're laughable with this. They have to understand this. That that that's the best they can come up with. They had a very broad field of Democrats to choose from, and they 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 go with Joe Biden. This guy, this guy has run for president multiple times before and was a joke then. Now he's serious. When he's even more old, more out of it. The guy's going to be president in his eighties. But this is uh, the new reality we live in where common sense is discarded as part of Democrat orthodoxy. Common sense doesn't apply anymore. You're not allowed to just be a reasonable, rational person and say, hold on a second. This does this is uh, there's something up here. There's a problem here. No, no, that's uh, that that then itself is the issue. That's what they'll tell you, that you are approaching it from the perspective of somebody who has not lost their mind. You are then the problem. This is this is now mainstream Democrat thinking. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the Chinese people are wonderful people, but their government, the Communist Party of China, is comprised of a bunch of outlaws. They're bullies. Uh, they understand only strength. If uh, you're too nice to them, if you turn the other cheek, they just stab you in the neck. The poster child for what the general was talking about is the, the leadership at the National Basketball Association. Uh, the NBA leadership is so greedy, so anxious to do business in China that they, they do whatever the Chinese uh, Communist Party tells them to do. If, if, the, if, the, if the party told, them, told the leadership of the NBA to join the Taliban, the NBA leadership would say, where's the line? I'm working on a bill that would uh, prohibit American companies from giving in to this bullying by the Communist Party of China. Things have been ramping up 
in terms of the U.S. response to the Chinese Communist Party, administration's taken some major moves, but we're also seeing now more than ever how far the tentacles of the CCP stretch into America and at the very highest levels of media and entertainment and industry. Someone who's covered this very closely is our buddy Raheem Kassam. He's the editor over at the National Pulse, and they have some stories on this very issue for you to check out. Raheem, my friend, good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me, Bob. So the Lincoln Project is a bunch of never-Trumper stealth Dems who claim to still be Republicans who want to destroy Trump. You have a story up right now in the National Pulse about how the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, feels about the Lincoln Project. What's going on with that? Well, they seem to feel very good about the Lincoln Project. I mean, this is a group of people, as you say, these never-Trumpers, who take a lot of money from uh, Democrat donors and and stand up this anti-Trump so-called Republican organization, and that's getting a lot of traction on MSNBC um, and in the New York Times. They love to see all of this. Uh, But behind the Lincoln Project, there appears to be some very seriously concerning um, um, developments in recent days. Now, we know that John Weaver, one of the people who's been involved with this group, actually registered to be a uh, foreign agent on behalf of a Russian state-owned company just a few years ago. John Weaver will maintain that he never ended up doing any actual work for the Russian government, but he did register uh, to do work for them under this Foreign uh, Agent Registration Act. I'll remind your viewers that the Foreign Agent Registration Act was actually first formulated in the 1930s so that Nazi propagandists couldn't get away with spreading lies in the United States without uh, the American people knowing about it. And now we're seeing a lot of people making very big moves, especially in the administration and on Capitol Hill, to make sure the people who are CCP operatives, Chinese Communist Party operatives, are registered under Farah like the Nazis were. One of the groups that has to register is this Chinese Uh, news organization, CGTN and CCTV, if you can believe they would actually call their news organization that unironically. And one of their leading uh, contributors uh, of late has been Max Borkus. Max Borkus was Obama Biden's ambassador to China. Max Borkus is going around saying, you know, it's going to be great if Biden becomes president because he'll be a soft touch uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. But more worrying still is that the Chinese Communist Party news outlets, CGTN and CCTV, alongside China Daily, of which you can still get hard copy newspapers here on Capitol Hill, which I think, frankly, is a disgrace. Uh, they appear to be endorsing the Lincoln Project, endorsing Rick Wilson, endorsing John Weaver, endorsing all of these never-Trump activists who are masquerading, as you noticed, uh, as you noted, uh, as Republicans, but who are taking Democrat money. There are a series of uh, fawning op-eds about the Lincoln Project coming out of Chinese news agencies and being blasted in the English language out into the Western world, effectively uh, trying to uh, alter the results of the upcoming U.S. presidential election. Uh, There are uh, stories uh, uh, by the editors. Seng Jing did an entire op-ed about the Lincoln Project called Lincoln Project and the Republicans for President Biden. He fawns over them as well. Another CGTN editor, Liane Ferreira, heaped praise 
on the group uh, in a piece entitled A World of Regrets, Republicans Turn Their Backs on Trump. So it's clear um, that the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, would like for the Lincoln Project to get its way, would like for Rick Wilson to get his way, uh, which is a President Biden. And then under a President Biden, as Mark Borkus told CGTN, uh, there would be a lot less saber rattling in China and the Chinese Communist Party's direction. What a wonderfully tight-knit family bug. We're speaking to my buddy Raheem Kassam. He's the editor of the National Pulse, talking about what's going on with China these days. You've also got an exclusive here, Raheem. D.C. Mayor Bowser partners with Chinese Communist Party Group, grants access to federal building, housing, CBP, Commerce Department, and USAID. What the heck is going on here? Yeah, I mean, you know, these things have been happening for several years now, but the the faithful reporters based here in Washington, D.C., actually haven't bothered to go through any of these FARA filings or go through any of the annual reports of organizations like the Confucius Institutes, which has just changed its name to become euphemistically called something altogether irrelevant, um, the Chinese Language Learning Center or something, because everybody knows out there now that the Confucius Institute are basically a Chinese Communist Party It is a state-funded Chinese Communist Party propaganda institution that has its um, that has its uh, tentacles all across the United States in primary schools, elementary schools, in secondary schools, in high schools, and on college campuses. But more importantly, as the story points out, the Confucius Institute is actually partnered with the DC mayor, Muriel Bowser. And we went through, on the National Pulse, we went through uh, their annual report, which gives credit to Mayor Muriel Bowser. Muriel Bowser helped them organize a small conference of a couple of hundred Chinese Communist Party Confucius Institute sympathizers at the federally owned Ronald Reagan building. Now, anybody who knows Washington, D.C., the Ronald Reagan uh, trade building effectively sits between the White House and the Trump International Hotel, also known as the old post office. But it also houses USAID, the U.S. Department of Commerce, Customs and Border Patrol, the Environmental Protection Agency, and several offices of legislative status here on Capitol Hill as well. So effectively what the mayor has done is welcome the Chinese Communist Party and their spies into federal government buildings. Who knows what they're putting USB devices into, who knows what signals they're monitoring, and who knows who they're listening to and talking to and building up deeper relationships. We know there's a US, uh, whatever you want to call it, deep state, in-your-face state that is keen to sell out uh, the United States to the Chinese Communist Party. That's been going on for decades. And it appears that it's being done uh, with the wholesale approval and assistance of Mayor Muriel Bowser. The Confucius Institutes, they are not some uh, help to speak Chinese and help to learn English for Chinese center. It is a straight up propaganda institute. And this is how Muriel Bowser is treating the public purse in Washington, D.C. And I'll tell you something, this is just the, one of the many great reasons why Washington, D.C., right now at least, and in my view in the future as well, should never be given statehood. Speaking of Raheem Kassam of the National Pulse, Raheem, do you think that the, the whole world is waking up to, or at least large parts of the world are waking up to the reality of China? I just saw... Uh, in your old country, the UK, they are going to actually go along with with banning uh, Huawei and 5G. Australia is also banning Huawei because of 5G uh, infiltration concerns using using Huawei's uh, technology and infrastructure to try to get 5G networks up and running. Obviously, the US also has a prohibition on this. Has there been a, a notable sea change, in your opinion, about what people view as the real threat from the CCP? 
Well, there absolutely has. And uh, people will know if they follow me on, on social media and so forth, that I'm not afraid to critique the president of the United States when I believe that there are uh, strategic errors being made or it isn't taking action in any uh, place that I think needs action. But the president of the United States deserves an incredible amount of credit for what he's done here. He's pulled together an alliance of liberty, like we saw in the 1930s, in the late 1930s, when the world started to wake up to the fact that there was a global menace out there that was oppressing its own people, targeting ethnic minorities, and attempting to create a new empire. And that is exactly what we're seeing again today. And I think when history reflects on this, President Donald J. Trump will be remembered like Sir Winston Churchill was, as a hero of bringing an alliance of liberty together to confront the Chinese Communist Party. As you say, you now have Australia in this alliance of liberty. You now have India in this alliance of liberty. They recently banned 59 Chinese Communist Party apps in India. And I believe the United States will be following suit in that regard, in the tech regard as well. The Attorney General Bill Barr also deserves a great amount of credit when it comes to this. And I still remember the time uh, that you and I bumped into the Attorney General in that old post office building, the Trump International Hotel, and he was just starting out his job then. And what a very great job he's done since. Um, putting the pressure on the CCP, his amazing speech last week, pointing out the Hollywood hypocrites, the corporate hypocrites, the NBA, all of these guys who are working, who are, in his words, collaborators with the CCP. And yes, I am very proud that my country is finally starting to wake up um, to, the, uh, to the demonic threat of the Chinese Communist Party in banning Huawei, but also going after other Chinese companies now as well, ZTE and others who are lobbying very hard here on Capitol Hill, in Westminster, in capitals all around the Western world. It, you know, unfortunately, there, there are two ways this is going to go. It's either going to go to kinetic war, which I'm sure we all want to avoid, or we see off the CCP right now, liberate the Chinese people without a kinetic war, without any uh, uh, hardline military confrontation, and allow the CCP to go where it truly belongs, into the dustbin of history. Raheem Kassam, everybody, follow him on Twitter if you're not already. Also check out thenationalpulse.com for his latest writing. Raheem, great to talk to you, man. We'll have you back soon. Thanks for having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Another very sketchy and, and tragic murder story here linked at least somewhat from what we know so far, linked in some way, I should say, or there is a link, whether it's relevant or not, still remains to be seen to Jeffrey Epstein. Here's what we've got. A uh, Judge Esther Salas, a federal judge in New Jersey, was home when a guy dressed in a FedEx outfit, not from that company, obviously, a guy dressed dressed, uh, as a FedEx employee, showed up at her home, and murdered her husband and then killed her 20-year-old son who ran to the door, uh, and the guy then took off. And it was just days after uh, Judge Salas had been uh, assigned a, look, a Deutsche Bank lawsuit has to do with Deutsche Bank and whether, you know, and Epstein and finances, and it's a class action lawsuit, So it's not the heart of the Epstein case, but there is some Epstein connection. A lot of people are focusing in on that. I'm not confident yet. uh, I'm not confident yet that there is that connection. I I don't know. Don't start screaming at me for being naive or something. I don't know. But I don't I don't see a connection there yet. It could be. Um, 
you know, there is I mean, the post. The New York Post is running with New York judge. A federal judge took on Epstein case days before. I'm sorry, New Jersey federal judge. Days before her husband and and, uh, and some were shot. And. They're now saying they've already got someone that they believe was the shooter. This is also in the New York Post. A man found dead in New York's Catskills may have been behind the shooting of federal judge Esther Salas' son and husband in New Jersey. Uh, the man was found on Monday in Rockland, New York, with an apparently self-inflicted gunshot wound. The man's name and identity were not immediately disclosed, but sources say it's preliminarily believed he was an attorney who once argued a case in front of Salas. A package or envelope addressed to the jurist was found near the man's body. The FBI and police were headed to the scene to investigate a possible connection between the man and a gun found nearby. An assailant dressed as a Federal Express delivery man came to the home, came to Salas's home's door uh, around 5 p.m. Sunday and opened fire as Judge Esther Salas's son, Daniel Anderl, opened up. The gunman also blasted Anderl's uh, husband, prominent attorney Mark Anderl, 63 years old. Whew, my God. The younger man was killed. The older has been hospitalized in critical condition. You know, a horrible story. I mean, you know, once assassinations of federal judges, I mean, this has to be taken with the greatest seriousness and and the response must have the greatest severity possible. Uh, I it seems like this guy might have already killed himself if this was the shooter. I can't think off, you know, off the facts we have so far. What could be even. The motivation here, the guy argued a case five years ago in front of her, and now he went and assassinated her family members. He argued a case of her. I mean, he wasn't if it were an ex-con that she had sentenced to, you know, 20 years or something, you might see motive. I don't see motive here, but maybe there's something we don't know about this particular story. But it really shook everybody up. I mean, already when you have. Uh, this was an assassination. There's no question about that. This was a targeted killing of a federal judge or an, an attempt to kill a federal judge, killed her husband, a prominent defense attorney. I'm sorry, killed her son and grievously wounded her husband, a prominent defense attorney. Uh, but this was you got to think that they were going after the judge and the husband uh, answered the, the door. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to see what additional facts come out here. Just hard to believe that somebody that anybody could do this. Uh, then there's the other murder case in the New York area. This one on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, where this young guy who is a tech entrepreneur and had made a few million dollars for himself was killed, they believe, by his personal assistant who, who followed him into his home, tasered him, stabbed him, and then chopped up his body with an electric saw and had cleaned the whole thing up. Now they're saying that it was the personal assistant, that's the allegation, but the personal assistant has just pled not guilty and his lawyer is claiming there's much more to the story. I can't imagine what really that would mean in terms of how, how that's going to explain anything that's not going to send the client to prison for the rest of his life. But, you know, two very, uh, very unsettling cases here in the, in the New York area and the, the Epstein connection to the Salas family killing. I, I view it as, as tenuous right now, but it can't be ignored, right? It's a few days after. It was a Deutsche Bank class action lawsuit. has to do with whether, you know, Epstein, whether uh, they, they should have been paying more attention to what Epstein was doing with his money or not. I, I, you know, 
that, that's look, I understand how the conspiracies get going and everything else. But to me, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem close enough to this. And it wouldn't stop the case. Right. It just doesn't stop the case. So why? You know, I, I don't I don't see that. I might be missing something. I, I don't see that. But I do know people that are raising a lot of questions about why hasn't, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell, nothing yet has come out. Haven't heard about what she's got. Haven't heard whether she's even going to name names. <sighs> Look, the Epstein thing, very, very powerful people are implicated in the Epstein case. We know this. They've already, some of them have already been named and implicated. Ghislaine Maxwell is going to know where all the bodies are buried. And the moment that you start adding together that level of power for the individuals involved and that kind of destruction, I mean, it it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a public figure and you are tied to this Epstein uh, ring of sexual exploitation and and trafficking underage girls, you're going to be ruined. People get very desperate in those circumstances and will do basically anything. So we can't ignore any connections. I'll, I'll continue to follow this case. And if I have any updates, you'll be hearing about them here on the show. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We didn't do any voicemails Friday. I'm sorry about that. That's on me. I didn't call for them. But uh, we will do them this Friday. So please do call in 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Producer Mark. I don't know. It's middle of summer, but I'm grouchy right now. Tell, let's hear some happy things. You're today. grouchy. It happens. I didn't sometimes. notice. It happens once in a while. But I what, thought what? I'm the grumpy one. Tell well that well. I mean that's like every day. Interesting. But yeah. How are you doing? Tell uh, us some happy. I don't know. I have this uh, feeling in my stomach that something terrible is about to happen, and then I looked at the calendar and I realized baseball starts on Friday. So oh. the Mets are coming back to my life. So that means something terrible is about to happen. Oh, because they're not going to win. Yeah, it was a joke that the Mets make me miserable. Oh, because yes. I thought you were a Mets fan, so I didn't. Really oh, I am a Mets it. fan. They just make me absolutely miserable. So you just you just accept that they make you sad. Yes, but aren't they going to get bought by like J Lo and A Rod and P Diddy or something? Uh, it uh, a group led by A Rod and J Lo. I haven't heard Diddy's name. No, I, I made that one up. Yeah, you made that one up. A Rod and J Lo are correct, and there's some other uh, a billionaire named Steve Cohen who I would like to buy the Mets. He's worth fourteen billion dollars. I just want somebody who's going to spend money on the team. Have they not been spending money on the team? No, they have the world's cheapest owners. They operate as if they're like in Kansas City when they're in New York. Oh. Yeah. No offense yeah, this, to Kansas this, City, but, you know, the I don't, I don't you know. You don't follow uh, Premier League soccer because you're an American, unlike me. Uh, but I, I do know enough about it to know that there have been a couple of teams. Well, one in particular, uh, Chelsea was bought by a Russian billionaire, and he had a really unique strategy 
uh, when he bought Chelsea, the uh, London-based Premier League soccer team, very, very well-known, globally known franchise for soccer fans, uh, which was, I'm just going to spend as much money as we need to to buy the best players on the planet. And it turns out that's a pretty successful strategy. Yeah, that's called the, uh, the Yankee method. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't We're even just... want the Mets to buy every great player. I just want them to be competitive in free agency once in a while. Mm. You know, like yeah, just, you know, like... if a big player's out there, maybe just give me the idea that the Mets might be able to get them. So what are they going to do? No fans in the stands, but playing baseball games with no fans? Yeah, so MLB's the one league that is not doing... So the NBA and the NHL are starting... I think the NBA is starting this week, NHL is starting next week, but they're in bubbles. So the NHL is in two Canadian cities. They're in Toronto for the Eastern Conference, and for the Western Conference, they're in Edmonton. The NBA is all in Orlando, and they're not allowing anyone out of the bubble or into the bubble. They're all kind of quarantining themselves and playing the games. MLB will be traveling to each city, and that's actually interesting because the Blue Jays, the Canadian government has said, you can't play at home because we don't want people coming in and out of the country. Hmm. Yeah, so they have to find a new site. Wow. Yeah. Canada doesn't want Americans, huh? What's up with that, Canada? Uh, I mean, it's their choice, I guess. Yeah, well, we are having some problems. Yeah. So. That's all right, Canada. Next time China decides to invade, we're going to remember this one. I mean, good thing it doesn't matter where they play, because it's not like fans are coming. Mm. Yeah. So, see, the baseball fans out there appreciate your baseball jokes. I'm just kind of, I don't, I don't know what's sarcastic or what's real or anything else, so. But there are a lot of baseball fans. Yeah, who the, to this a lot of baseball fans will get my original joke, how the Mets make me miserable. Mm. And also, uh, are you excited this week to listen to fantastic voicemails at our wonderful voicemail box? Oh, of course. It's the my favorite thing that I do every week. Guys, don't make producer Mark sad. Call in 844-900-2825 and leave a voicemail. Or just don't. No, That's fine I'm telling too. you to do it. He loves it. He's just he's just teasing you right now. He loves yeah, it. He loves I'm, sitting there I'm listening clearly not serious. So let's get to our other uh, our other version of roll call, which involves you writing in. And that's done at either Facebook dot com slash Buck Sexton. Or are you going through the email inbox, producer Mark? Of course I am. OK, I thought you're not you're not just pulling out of Facebook. Yeah, I'm pulling okay. out of both. It's you know. just making sure no. we don't want to leave out. We don't want to leave our old school email folks. I would never do that. That's what we like to hear. All right, Marilyn. Hey, Buck. What if Trump just answered Sleepy Joe with you release your psychological and physical medical files and I will release my tax returns now? Not that I feel that Trump should be compelled to release them, but it might make a good point. I'm a granny nanny, army brat, army wife, army mom who gets her daily dose of sanity by listening. Keep up the humor and information. P.S. Love the hair. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. The hair loves you. And as for the rest of what you're saying, yeah, I do think that would be an interesting demand to make. OK, we'll release Trump's tax returns as soon as we see the full medical records of, uh, of Joe Biden. Um, I don't know. Has Trump released his full medical records? Though? I mean, I think he could, but we shall see. Uh, but Biden's cognitive decline, which I think is apparent. I really mean that. I think it is apparent to anybody watching because I've known Biden in, in politics for a long time. That is something the Democrats have already they've already baked that into the cake, so to speak. They, they believe that that is just the way it's going to be, that that's acceptable. So I don't know what else to tell you about it. That's they're not they're not going to change. Doesn't matter what Joe Biden could get up there in the debates and say that he is a uh, uh, a rosemary roasted potato and he wants to go to the planet Zargon 
and the, and, and then and then like fall asleep on stage and Democrats would be like, he just had a bad day, guys. Trump is Hitler. So nothing would change for them. It wouldn't matter. They don't care. They're still going to vote for him. Makes no difference. So it, it's not possible for Joe Biden. Remember, he, he's been credibly accused of sexual assault. Democrats are all about me, too. And all oh, that's all all forgotten. No one even talks about it anymore. Look at that. It's all gone. Michael, as you posted, the notion that Fauci is touting that New York handled this thing right was insane. I found myself stuck in this covid crap because someone at work got it and have to be tested in order to go back to work. With Fauci's track record, I would much rather buy snake oil from a person on the street than listen to him. Well, Michael, you know, I, I think that Fauci is a guy who has run out of things to tell us that are useful. And he it's just he doesn't want to get blamed for any bad decision making or any bad policies. And so the easiest thing under those circumstances for him to do is just to always say, do the maximum restrictions, uh, the most draconian limitations on individual freedom. That's what he's going to do. So that's where things are right now. And, yeah, his track record on this is bad. It'd be one thing if he had a real plan. What is the plan? Wear masks for six weeks. I, I promise you, if we wore masks for six weeks and, and the virus did go down, and I'm not saying that it's because of mask wearing necessarily, but if it did go down and then we tried to go back to normal life, you know what would happen? Virus case would go up right before the election, of course. And we'd be told, oh, time to start wearing masks again. W- what is the end game of that? What's the point? What are we really doing? Nathaniel. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. John, I'm so glad that we live in a country that allows those who hate it to run for office like Tlaib, AOC, etc. It's alarming that they can win. It's even more concerning that they are the puppet masters of the Democratic Party. John, it's true that uh, America hatred is something you only find on the right. I'm sorry, on the left. Pardon me. Uh, America hatred is something you only find among Democrats. Uh, they are entirely comfortable with that um with with trashing this country and saying that it's not worthy it's not a good place it's only a good place if it puts them in charge and puts them into power so that's where it is right now that is the situation it's not going to change anytime soon and yeah there are democrats who really think they they conflate um America hatred with intellectual sophistication and moral superiority. That's really what Democrats do. That's a, uh, I think, a pretty apt description of the mentality of their party. So that's what we see. That's what's happening. Just understand that. Uh, Let's see here. Nathaniel. Shields high, Buck. I've had several people mention that they know who have scheduled coronavirus tests but did not get tested due to a long wait. They later receive letters notifying them that they are positive for coronavirus. I can't see any reporting on this, but the anecdotes are too consistent and similar. Is anyone on this? Can you dig anything up? Thanks for keeping us warm and safe at night. Uh, Nathaniel, I have also heard this anecdotally. It's so tough to really give answers on this because it's a very big country with a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, if you pick just one area, they say, well, that's not representative of what's happening everywhere. But. I do think that there have been places where I, I do know that there have been places where coronavirus testing was was a little bit backed up at, at specific locations. And I also know that you can wait three, four, five days before you find out whether you have it or not, which seems like uh, a pretty long time, considering there are 15 minute covid tests out there. So why don't we all have the 15 minute test? I'm sure it's a resource issue and it's more expensive and so on and so forth. 
But I was at the White House. I got a 15 minute COVID test and it was negative, thankfully. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Next up on Roll Call, Jamie. Uh, Trader Joe's is under pressure to rename their ethnic products. It seems that using a Spanish name, Trader Jose's, for their Mexican items is unacceptable. Hmm. Using the same logic as a European American, I'll be damned if I'm not offended by the name Joe. How dare they? Uh, I don't know if it's Jamie or Jaime, but I'm going to go with Jamie on this one. Uh, Producer Mark, are you a Trader Joe's guy? Yeah, of course. Everything they make is delicious. I've heard very good things. Uh, so, so they have like they they have some some fun with the names based on if there's you know it's like Trader Trader Jose's tortillas or stuff like that. Yeah, like say they have a frozen enchilada or whatever, it'll be labeled Trader Jose. Or if it's a steamed pork bun, it'll be Trader Ming's, I think. And I did see an article recently that they're going to have to change that. Oh, oh. People are offended by everything these days. You know, I'm just wondering when I'm going to be told that my eating of foreign cuisine is an appropriation in my belly. Get in my belly, foreign cuisine. I don't care what they say. You with me on this one? What are we going to be left with? Just be eating barbecue all day, which isn't the worst thing in the world. But I mean, it'd be nice to have some variety. Burgers and potato salad. Yeah, burgers and potato salad. Burgers technically we appropriated from Germany. So there's that. I mean, isn't all American food technically appropriated from somewhere? Yes, huh? but isn't all food appropriated from somewhere technically in general also? That's a case? good point. Right? Tea that the Brits drink normally, uh, initially came from Southern Asia and Southeast Asia. And in those regions, if you go back far enough, there's been a lot of movement of people and fighting and taking of land and... Uh, the insanity never stops, but that's why you come here, folks, because I try to keep it sane in the membrane. Sane in the brain. TJ, Buck, I'm not one that uh, I'm not one that quote unquote believes in or trust the polls. However, I don't distrust the polls either. I think that at the very least, we're we on the right, especially those in the Trump camp, need to have a healthy respect for the polls. One of the things I fear the most is that if we lose in November, we will look back and ask ourselves how we didn't see this coming when in reality... The writing has been on the wall the whole time. I am fairly certain that if when Trump debates Biden, we will definitely see an uptick in Trump's poll numbers. But will it be enough? I realize the idea that Trump can poll above 55 percent would be ridiculous. But regardless, it is something to strive for. And this does not mean he needs to moderate on any issues or policies. Instead, he needs to be laser focused on those things. He will have to show some discipline like never before. But I have faith that our president is up to the task. T.J., uh, well, TJ, I'm with you on paying attention to the polls, right? I don't, I don't live and die by the polls right now, but I pay attention to them. And I, I do think that we, we are in a concerning spot right now. And if we don't end up winning this fall, we'll look back and say, why wasn't there more of a sense of urgency at, at this point in time? Uh, there's clearly been an, an all-out effort for the last few months to do everything to bring Trump's numbers as low as possible. And I, I have not seen what I would need to see to believe that that's really going to be turned back by the current strategy on offer. So I, I have concerns, to be sure. Uh, how do we get this thing going? I mean, I think making the argument, making it publicly and loudly and, and standing strong on a lot of these issues 
But look, I mean, to say, how, how does anyone win an election? There's so many voices, so much money, so much at stake. It's a massive, um, it's a massive battle that is underway right now. So there, there we have it. Uh, but let's, let's hope, man. TJ, let's stay in the fight and let's see how we can do. Erica, hey, Buck, congrats on all your success. I've been a listener and a huge fan of yours since the first time I heard you fill in for Rush. I knew you were going to make it big. Well, thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. I heard something interesting today that I hadn't considered before regarding the number of positive COVID cases being reported. My husband was talking to a coworker whose son is a nurse practitioner. His son told him that if a person tests positive for COVID-19, obviously it's reported as a new positive test. But he said that when the same person is retested to see if they still have the virus, if the retest is still positive for COVID-19, then they have to report it once again as a new case. So one person can have multiple positive tests before their body is clear of the virus. According to the man's son, every single one of those subsequent positive tests is being reported as though it's an entirely new positive case of COVID instead of a retest of a person that had already been counted as positive after their initial test. Have you heard about this already? Is there any way to verify if it's true? Thank you for all you do. Stay safe and shields high. Erica, that's fascinating. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know any details about this. You know more about this than I do right now. Um, I, I can totally see that being true, though. So it passes the smell test, but I can't verify on my own yet. But I, I will look into this because that is certainly very important, especially if you have one person with multiple COVID tests over a two or three week period. That's one way the numbers would. would I'm sure the numbers are inflated. We've already seen in some cases the numbers are inflated and that's already been established but how inflated is the question that i don't have an answer for yet and we will continue to focus on that as much as we can sarah hey buck and mark you guys come up late in the day on 650 keni in alaska but i listen to you on the podcast because it comes out sooner excellent sarah that's the idea why don't you listen to that podcast every day iheart app spotify bucksexon.com mark was asking where to get ketchup chips on friday uh, Canada has them. It's a super huge chip flavor in Canada. I get ketchup chips every time I visit family in uh, Quebec. I'm sorry, in Canada, rather. I can tell you guys it's literally the best chip flavor ever. Think of like a barbecue chip that doesn't taste like smoky. It has a bit of vinegar flavor. Best chip ever. Shields high, Sarah. Sarah, I'll take your word for it, but I'll have to try it at some point. Uh, my friends, that's going to be the show for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Shields high.